Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your hosts, Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. This is Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men, and with us today, we have our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, good to be with you today. Great to see you, Alex. Always great to be with you. I certainly enjoyed our time together at the recently in the General Assembly for our denomination, and what wonderful time to see you and, and Jenny and all of our other colleagues in, in the HM. It was a great time. Lots of activities, lots of activities with Disciples Men going on. Several of the folks helped with the Help Build Hope project. I know there was, you were involved in a lot of the cutting on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. Saturday evening. And then I helped along with several others on the build on Sunday morning. And I can say, at least from my perspective, I never had a piece of wood that was miscut. So I think it was perfect. <laughs> it was it was pretty easy to do. They have that pretty well scripted when you started doing that stuff. It was an amazing event. It was. By the time we were getting to assembling walls, they had they had put these labels, for lack of a better word, were kind of on each of the base plates and top plates. And they showed right where any stud was supposed to go and they had a layout sheet for each of the panels that we built and I had to leave a little bit early but I would say that by the time noon happened on Sunday that that house was standing in the exhibit hall. I can testify that it was because I was there at 11 a.m. and to check on the progress and it was getting pretty close to being done then. It was just an amazing sight. It really was just humbling to see so many people, men and women, yes, you know, hammering and putting together. Ron Petrick, the president of the Men's Discipleship Council, was on Saturday night was putting those labels on the okay. on the base plates, and he was actually on the opposite end of where the trailer was that housed all the equipment from where I was. So I didn't get to see them do that. I wanted to, but they were done before I finished cutting all my pieces, and then so I and then they were finished and off they went, but. It was, if you've never seen this before, I had not how this particular group works. It's not Habitat. It is Build for Hope. And number one, I was envious of the of the equipment that they used to <laughs> do all the cutting. They were all battery oper- operated. Oh, yes. Chop uh, saws. Uh, compound miter saws, sliding. Yep. And yeah, well, they were pretty cool. It was like a store is that you had a list of stuff, the links and the kind of boards. You cut them up, you stacked them in designated piles. Then when the people began the construction on Sunday morning, they just walked over to where and found the number and grabbed the number of pieces they needed with that number to build their, their wall. It was really fascinating. The it cool was. They did. And of course, that house goes to a family in Madisonville, Kentucky, who lost everything in the tornadoes last year. And yep. It was a great project, something that we were able to bring some information back to our church that we go to here in Illinois. And so who knows if we might get a few of our disciples churches and maybe some of our friends from the community to have a build day 
here one of these days. It was an exciting project. I was glad to be a part of it. Brought back a lot of memories to putting together a house in a very similar fashion for our family. So it was exciting. And I might remind folks, if you don't get The Voice, which is our news e-newsletter, we had pictures of that in the most recent voice we sent out that had a summary of our general experience. And the men had a wonderful experience. We made yes. a good presence. High compliments to you for the workshop you led, and it was an SRO oh, experience. It was really cool. Uh, the conversation was great. The men's luncheon was terrific. We had, you know, really was phenomenal. great number of guys, and the spirit was awesome. Yes. Uh, I, so, And I'll thank you for your keynote, your sermon during the luncheon. Your message was well-received, and, and I think exactly what we all needed to hear. Yeah, thank you. It felt right for where we are, and I'm very thankful it was received as well as it was. And we had our disciples' men's nail aprons we were wearing proudly as yep. part of our work there. We gave them out to all the guys who helped work on the project. So that was a lot of fun. It was a good gift to give away to everybody. Yeah, it was that was great. It was a really good assembly. And then what was also fun, because a lot of that happened relatively early. Most of our Disciples Men specific events were on Saturday evening and Sunday. And so we had the momentum from those to carry on through Monday and Tuesday that generated some really great conversations. I know for me, and I think for both of us, uh, with folks from across the denomination, showing an interest in disciples men and maybe revitalizing disciples men activities in several different contexts. Both of us had those conversations and they were very uplifting. I walked away feeling very, very encouraged by the work we do. And the last thing to, about the General Assembly is that we have plans to do some podcasts on some of the topics that the attendees of your workshop raised yep. uh, in there that really require a lot of thought, a lot of soul searching, I think, from everyone. I, I was pleased at where we are, because I think if it had been three or four assemblies ago and that conversation had been initiated, it would have been a much uglier scene. And in this case, I felt nothing but sincere curiosity and desire to know more. Where do we go from here? And and I have a fair degree of confidence in our ability to unpack that in a good way. I'm looking forward to those conversations. It was a great early afternoon of conversation around what men's ministry looks like. And I agree with you. I'm not sure that we could have those conversations 10 years ago, maybe not even five years ago, but they're important discussions that we need to have some conversation about. So looking forward to those conversations as well. Well, today we had a, a request. I'm keynoting a men's retreat in the Great River region in end of September. So anyone in Great River region invite you to come to Shreveport to be a part of that men's retreat. But the topic that I was handed is to focus on restarting regional men's ministry. Mm. And we had talked the last time we were together that we together haven't really talked about what that would look like, its relevance. I mean, there's a whole lot of questions that the new structure of the Men's Discipleship Council has moved us away from the importance of regional expressions of men's ministry as they right. once were. And we haven't really talked about 
how we would reinvest ourselves in helping regions restart their men's program. Obviously, if they want one, we're all in. Right. But hasn't been a priority with everything else we've had to do. So we thought we would let our folks just listen into us brainstorm. This may be quite dangerous, but brainstorm <laughs> where we are with that. And we don't know where each other are with that. We just right. haven't had the conversation. So I'll throw it to you. Where do you think we go with this? This is a great topic for us right now, because this is something that has come up in my role with the region. People have been expressing an interest in having some more traditional forms of men's ministry available to folks within our region. I've heard periodically over the last couple of years that I've been here, we'd really like to have a regional men's retreat again. And what I'm finding is that there are pockets of interest, but as has been true with many things, we're a bunch of folk that are pretty darn busy as it is. Um, mm -hmm. If we're involved in our churches at any level, we're probably involved in our churches about as much as we can really give to that at this point in our lives. And so there's not tons and tons of folks who have been saying, yes, I really want to step up and be one of the core folks who really get this off the ground. What I think is that if this is just like one person, for example, I have men's ministry in my portfolio. If I mm -hmm. were to try to create a men's retreat for Christian Church in Illinois and Wisconsin, I don't think it would happen because that's my idea. That's my desire. I would love to have one, but we need a group that is showing that interest. And so mm -hmm. I think we might be at a spot where I'm thinking about how do we restart men's ministry on the smaller level? How do we make sure that that's a vital ministry within the congregation? Because if it's a vital ministry in the congregation, then those congregations can band together to form the vital ministry in the region. And that's sort of been our, our unspoken strategy all along. I will say that when we first, in the first iteration of, of the Jesus Way, there were some resources I had worked on prior to us getting together. And then we built up, way, way built up that from what we originally started with. That there was a system for implementing this in the regions. I went back to look at that, and I think that process is sound. It would work okay. if, and it would only work if, as you just said, there was a groundswell of people who right. were interested in doing that. Otherwise, it would be a lot of effort for nothing. Right. And so... It's not that regions aren't having men's retreats. You and I visit, I don't know, in the last four years, probably eight, seven or eight anyway. Yeah, uh, that several. We've done. So they're still there. The one in I'll be doing in the Great River region in September is a restart. Yep. They are trying to do it again. And, and that's my task is to sort of help with that. But I think we're learning, especially post-COVID, that two things. One is... Coming together face-to-face -to -face is still important. Yeah. There's just some things you cannot do in an interpersonal way through Zoom. You know, no matter how hard you try, it's just, especially if you're not family or you don't have history with people, if there are people that you don't know well, those face-to-face -face moments, like in a retreat, 
are invaluable for kind of putting all the mortar between the brick of those relationships. Mm -hmm. But the second thing is, is we're also discovering that the cost of doing these events now may not justify the mortar. Right. And I, I say that with great sadness and reluctance, because that's certainly something I treasure. But I, I at times feel like people have just said the Zoom experience is enough. You know, the whole work from home thing that we right. we see being discussed all, all over the place. And people are very reluctant to go back to the office or to resume that kind of a work style, that even though their employers are getting pretty serious about them returning to the office. <laughs> you know, I read all the time about how New York City is burdened with too much office space that no one will fill. Right. Recognizing that's a social trend of pulling back, trying to create a sort of an artificial need with these men's retreats, as important as we think they are. Yes. I'm not sure that we're going to win that one. There are other factors, but that would just be one practical one, I think, that works against us. I think there are a couple things there that are, maybe go along with that as well. And I do agree. There was certainly a different energy, more energy, I think, around the room at General Assembly because we were able to be gathered again mm -hmm. uh, together. I talked about that a lot in business sessions and in worship, how nice it was to be able to be with one another again. But what I wonder is for you and for me, we do take, do see the, the importance of those in-person opportunities to build and form relationships. But I'm wondering if folks my kid's age and younger are going to have that same attitude towards things. Because I'm still, we're both in generations that didn't grow up with the internet. Right. It was not a thing until I was in college. And for my kids, they've always had internet access at home. It's not always been super high speed, but they've had internet access at home. They've been connected on their phones to the internet since they were in late middle school or early high school. Mm -hmm. uh, and that trend has gotten even younger uh, as the years have gone by. So our kids are more digitally connected today. So I wonder what role or what impact that's going to play on our ministries in the future. And I think it echoes something that Chris Dorsey was talking about during our podcast with him. Yes, the geographical connections are important, but there are other important connections that can be made non-geographically. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right on all points on that. I was well into my 40s when <laughs> when the internet became something that I had to learn to use. Uh, and again, I'm on it all the time, so it's not a foreign piece at all. But having grown up my first 40 years of my life where almost all connections were interpersonal, I hate the phone. I've never liked the phone. As you well know, I don't like to talk on the phone. But Zoom, I'm fine because I see a face with it. Or in person, yes. I see a face with it. And I can read the expressions, and I think that makes a, a lot of difference. But that the interpersonal presence, that being present with each other, you know, this. And I'll give you for instance. I've done more more men's retreats than I can count over the last thirty years, and and every one of them is special, regardless of how many guys were there. Right. 
And what made it special was not my presence or my presentation. What made it special was as soon as the formality stopped of the schedule and the fellowship began is when the real retreat started for me. Mm -hmm. Countless times a man would come up and say, Greg, you got a minute? And then an hour and a half would pass, and I'm getting this individual's life story, usually in relationship to a father, a struggled relationship, strained relationship. And you can't do that on Zoom. No. You can't. You no. can't build the trust level, you know, in a Zoom conversation that you can develop in just literally a few hours in those retreat settings. And so I do yes. lament that we're missing that. I don't know what the substitute is. I'm a spiritual director and I certainly would welcome doing spiritual direction via Zoom. I have not done one and I frankly don't know how it would go. I tried to teach by Zoom when I was teaching for, for election in the seminary and felt that was a horrendous failure on my part. <laughs> the students didn't respond that way, No, but I struggled mightily. Again, it's not that I'm afraid of the technology. It just is knowing the full breadth of relationships through my lifetime, that just feels like it short changes yeah. some of that. And again, it could just be an old fuddy-duddy guy speaking here that doesn't know any better. And I'll own that. Well, I, I do think it's interesting that you bring up both spiritual direction and teaching because I do teach a course online as well. Uh, um, there are There are some pitfalls to that. Teaching online is certainly different than teaching an in-person course. It does take more to get to know the students. I think it is easier for the students to feel like they know the instructor than the instructor to then have that response because mm -hmm. uh, we we see them in a different context. Yeah. But I've recently started working with a spiritual director and we do meet on Zoom. And so far it's been really good. Good news. Um, good news. It, it does require some intentionality. Uh, we begin each session with some real intentional silence, and that continues until I'm ready to begin talking. So mm -hmm. sometimes that's an extended period of silence because that's the only time it gets quiet in my world. <laughs> so it has been good, but there are some uh, differences. So we do have to consider the fact that, okay, we're not in the same room. We have to be real intentional about the focus and being present with that person in that digital space. Yeah. But but also as you were talking, and this I think often goes unspoken or has gone relatively unspoken in my experience, we haven't really talked much or thought much about the theological implications of relationships being built in a digital space. Hmm. Good question. Uh, my theology tends to be relational in nature. That's a, a major framework that I use to build up how I think about the world. And so there is some sense that because there's a barrier, a digital medium between us, that feels like it is something that was not in the design, if you will. It was not something that God created to be there. Right, right. So I think there is some sense in which we can talk about the fact that potentially, theologically, maybe we should meet in person as as we can. Yeah. 
I agree with you, but I'm wondering if the theological dimension of that is community. Yes. That we were made to be communal social creatures. And I absolutely. So that raises the question, can you develop the kind of community we think God requires of us through these alternate alternate methodologies that we have today that weren't there 20, 30 years ago. Right. I don't have an answer to that question. It's a struggle for me personally. I've been in hours and countless hours in Zoom meetings. That's no problem. Do it, conducting business by Zoom, I've gotten used to as a non-issue. Right. I haven't figured out yet how you deal with the interpersonal dynamics because it feels like there's a barrier between us. And it feels like it's more than just internet. It feels like there's some kind of invisible screen falls in front mm. of you in these kinds of settings that really prevents whatever flows between two people in a meaningful dialogue from touching all the places that it would be if you're in person. I don't have any proof of that. That's just a feeling. Yeah. Uh, as I'm reflecting on that, I have not experienced therapy in a teletherapy kind of session. I wonder how that would go. But I think that there is something to be said about sharing the same space uh, mm -hmm. with somebody else. Like you, I'm not a real phone call person because I couldn't see the face. I couldn't see the person, couldn't read body language, couldn't sense what they were feeling because you can't see them. It's better on Zoom, but it's even better in person. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for the state treasurer of Indiana. I'd set out of college a semester, and his daughter was my best friend. So he had heard that I was not going back to school. So he called me and he said, I got a job offer for you. I want you to be my aide. This is during the 1972 national election. So I went to work for him. It was just an extraordinarily eye-opening experience for a kid like me. Uh, but one of the lead Democrats had a, a champagne fundraiser for the Democratic Party in Indiana, and the keynoter was Ted Kennedy. Okay. And uh, I don't care what anybody's opinion about Ted Kennedy is. That's not the point. Right. But I'd watched, like everybody watched Ted Kennedy on news and speaking all the time. He's a hot topic for broadcasts and never felt anything particular. When he walked into that room, there was something palpable in the air. Yeah. I mean, there was something so real that it scared me. Mm. It scared me. It essentially revolved around his personal charisma. Right. I've never been around personal charisma like that ever since. And I've had the privilege of being around a lot of cool people. And to this day, I can still feel that wow. sense. And I used to tell people we were on the second floor of the convention center in Indianapolis. It was brand new. It was one of the first events that that convention center hosted. And I have no doubt in my mind, if he would have said, I want you all to go jump out the second story window here to the ground, that almost everybody in the room would have done it. Now, I, that's an exaggeration, but it felt that strong. Yeah, that, that's one of those things where you can't communicate that across the airways. You can get excited about somebody's language and what they're saying, but you can't duplicate that. I think that's what I'm getting at about what I miss mm -hmm. is there's a there's a aura, a shared aura in personal presence in a personal space that's very powerful. I still hope at some point in time there will be a desire for us to have these men's retreats where men can get together as men. Right. 
there's a lot of stuff we got to work out. And I right. think those are some of the best places to do it. One of the other factors, and this is definitely a factor because as I've looked, looked at places to potentially hold a retreat here in Illinois, Wisconsin, and with our partners in Michigan, both of our retreat centers, so Michigan's is fairly northern Michigan, which is probably at least eight hours away from here in a car, and our retreat center in Illinois, Wisconsin is fairly southern Illinois, and it's five, six hours from even the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a long drive to ask somebody to make after a long week of work, and a lot of the folks who we would invite would be men who would have responsibilities in their churches on Sunday. Some of the men who would come down would be pastors, and they would want to be in church on Sunday. So do you have just a Friday night and Saturday retreat? That's a long drive for a relatively short retreat. Or uh, if we extend it through Sunday, can we do that in a fashion and at a time where it really makes sense? Um, yeah, yeah. So what I'm wondering, uh, as I kind of think through this out loud, is do we focus as much on region-wide retreats, or do we try to get clusters of churches that are a little geographically closer to gather together for a day of something on Saturday? Yeah. Very targeted. You don't have to drive near as far. Yeah. I would hope we would, but I also believe when you're talking three and four hour travel time, is that time worth it? I don't know. I certainly would have to ask the question. Yeah, we've got three communities of pretty good size here in my area um, where we could get together. Theoretically, we could get 15, 20 guys together and have either a work day or some real intentional retreat Bible study time. And theoretically, we could do that at a state park. Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the last retreat I did, men's retreat I did for Illinois, Wisconsin region was Friday night, Saturday, I think up till like two o'clock early afternoon. I think there's one session after lunch, if I remember correctly. It was partial day Saturday and it was held at a hotel uh, at one of the kind of the central crossroads you know, where the yep. interstates come together. It was one of those places where all the roads come together and it was a hotel. Yep. And, and we had a big crowd. Uh, it was wonderful. There was a lot of people that came out. I don't remember the numbers, but the room was full. Something like that, picking the right geographic areas, I think could be very workable. I don't know what the furthest drive time was for anybody at that time, but I don't think it was probably more than an hour, hour and a half. I would imagine a lot of places you could get a group together um, at some place like that. That's not something I've looked at. And still we're thinking affordability. Mm -hmm. uh, another part is uh, as disciples, men, as the church, we've gotten a little bit older and we're getting more and more folks who are on fixed incomes. And I do have some concerns about keeping our events affordable Yeah, for those who are on fixed incomes. And on the other end, those who are just starting out in their career or adult lives, my son couldn't afford to spend $200 and go to a men's retreat. Right, right. Let me shift a little bit and just yeah. throw out another scenario. What would you think if the strategy was using the technology? Let's say you're going to be the keynoter for Kentucky. And, and the format would be that, A, that 
churches in a community or within, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes of each other, there would be a central spot where they'd come together and the host church would provide the meals. Then it would be set up for you to be streamed into that church and there would be multiple churches. Again, I'm not talking necessarily region wide. I'm talking like a district right. or, or an area. So churches that would be too remote to travel to be a part of that would they would set up their own in their own church by themselves. But the idea would be is to travel the 30 minutes or the 40 minutes or whatever right. for that half a day or three quarters of a day experience. Uh, and again, I would have a breakfast and a lunch and go home. And the keynoter is beamed in and works that way. I did yeah. the Florida retreat that way. It was a bit awkward, but it was awkward in how they positioned the cameras. Okay. And so it wasn't awkward them seeing me. It was awkward me seeing them. It would take a little bit of forethought, some instruction about how to set it up. But I think uh, that could be a that could be a strategy that we might explore. Yeah. A few churches have some form of a 360 degree camera. I have a couple of meeting owl cameras that can be used in a small conference room and fit five to ten guys in it. Mm. I think it could work. I would wonder if it would work better if there was an opportunity to meet with a site leader so that they would know how to carry the conversation on in breakouts so that there would be somebody there to make sure that the conversation stayed guided and moved in a fruitful direction, didn't just yeah. stall out. Yeah, actually, I thought about that, but I think that would be absolutely essential to have that person because if you were leading the treat you wouldn't be able to monitor that yeah. but it'd be helpful to help spend an hour instructing those folks on what you need them to do or mm -hmm. have however long it would take give them send them ahead of time the resources they would need and go from there plus you're also equipping those site yeah. people to do more which would be pretty cool as i recall thinking back towards that original plan that's really kind of what we were thinking was yeah. to to empower folks to know how to lead the material and understand some of the foundation that goes behind the material so that they could take it and do it in their regions or in their local congregations. And so that's a very similar to our original distribution plan. Well, originally, we weren't thinking necessarily doing it digitally, but originally right. it was the region would bring together its group of people who would go and be those individuals whatever right. we call them, the site leaders. And we would actually go and train them in person. We would have an in-person day right. with them so that so we could get to know them. All the questions could be answered. And if there's any equipment we needed to pass along, we could do that then, more resources. And then they would go back and do that in their districts or areas and also provide a one-day or a half-a-day training to the congregational leaders. So we were trying right. to build a network right. that would feed in both directions. But we weren't really thinking about doing this as a digital process. I don't thing. think we were thinking digitally, but that model is the same. Yeah, And that has some merit to it. And yeah. it's something I might think about trying here and see if we could pull that off. It does decrease travel time, which decreases overhead which makes these events more financially attainable as long as you have places that have the technology that you need yeah. to really pull it off.
Yeah, I mean, it really kind of becomes a no-cost event. You have a special offering for your free will offering for the meals for the host church, should you choose. And it probably would have to be a county seat congregation where the internet would be sufficient. There's some factors you'd have to weigh in. But for those who may be listening to us talking this stuff through out loud, we would certainly welcome your feedback. Yeah. And uh, drop us an email or emails or in the descriptions. We do both have emails with DHM now. And so they are the, the same after the at. So it's either G Alexander or a Ruth at DHM dot disciples dot org. G Alexander or a Ruth at DHM dot disciples dot org. We would love, as Greg said, love to hear that feedback. What have you tried? What do you think would work for you? And, and again, we're open to everything. We're not trying to poo-poo the importance of no. regional men's work at all. Both of us are regional no, no. people. And, yep. and so, again, we would love to see that. It is worth footnoting, I think, Alex, that when we made the structural change from the General Conference of Disciplemen to the Men's Discipleship Council, is that we did move away from dependence on regional structures yes, because it's the reality now that regions are no longer going to be able to have the luxury of a person dedicated to men's ministry for the region. And so what we did is said, let's take responsibility for how we now recreate a desire for men's ministry, both in congregation and, and regions. And so again, we changed it so that it now falls on us and the Men's Discipleship Council and the Office of Disciples Men to make it happen. Yes. So, so another thought about the conversation we just had, it may be that instead of thinking through this region by region, we work through our cluster representatives and target that group as our site managers. Mm-hmm. Again, it'd be more of a pilot experience, but as site managers for small areas where they and start small and see if we can create a format that would really work that's now consistent with our uh, kind of our new structure. Although I certainly would not discount doing it region by region if that opportunity came. Right. And I think I think there's certainly some possibilities for that. One of the nice things about those regional cluster groups is that they also tend to all be in the same time zone. Yeah, yeah. Because time zone things can play havoc on when things are supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, Kentucky has two time zones. So well, I there is that for 27 you guys years. Are, so <laughs> you guys are going to be bifurcated no matter what. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so again, that comes with the territory. But you're you're right about that being an issue. Uh, it's interesting. This is always something that we have to work around technology and work around the things that we have built as humanity that sometimes get in our way. That's true. Uh, you know, when you're talking about structure, it's easy to get lost in in the other more important elements of that. The structure is a delivery system. That's all it is. It's not, yeah. it's not our purpose. Right. Uh, it's a tool. And one of the things that we've been about from day one is how we help men develop deeper relationships with God that get reflected in, in a more Jesus way-like expression of life and faith to the people around them and whether it's family work neighborhood whatever and our primary focus really has been on reaching the hearts and minds of men 
And as those hearts and minds change, our longtime hope is that they will seek out and desire to spend time with other men whose hearts and minds have been changed so that together, socially, as community, they can continue the journey of deepening those relationships. We have been less concerned about structure, how we deliver that. We've been more intent about the product. And so we're open to whatever works. Exactly. And so if we, if your region, as some do, have men's retreats and want us to come, call us and email us. We can work on our calendars. We'll come. That's what we want to do. Yep. We want to meet as many men as possible. Absolutely. And if there's a willingness to help us maybe move in a more digitally centered way, uh, working as we just discussed with the clusters of churches or whatever, I think we would be uh, certainly willing to give that a try and, as well. But for us, the end goal isn't to make regions stronger or churches stronger. Our end goal is to change the hearts and minds of men. And if hearts Absolutely. and minds of men's change, those other structures become better too. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's what we've been about from day one. And uh, very grateful that we have the people working with us through the Men's Leadership Council that we do to help us see our mission through. Yes, it has been great to have this experience and to be able to begin to see how we can impact hearts and lives for building a more Jesus way centered way of life. And that's that's important to both of us. And, and you're right, it remains at the core of the work uh, yeah. that you do. And I always want to put a footnote on that to remind people that we, unlike other men's ministries that you and I have both been engaged with over the years, we don't see that there's a script that every man must follow. And that's been my primary issue with the more conservative expressions of men's ministry, who I've worked a lot with over the last 30 years. I know and love many of those leaders, but we have some fundamental differences about how this works. And Our resources, the Jesus Way resources, are designed to help each man discover his own unique relationship with God. Absolutely. And it will reflect the characteristics of faith and love and service that Jesus reflected in his own life. How those things get shown will be unique to each man. Yes. And there is no one way. And I am... I have to say, I'm quite proud of the resources that we've developed because we've kept that as a priority is making sure we honor the integrity and the giftedness of every man because yes. they're all unique. Yep. Yes, that's been central to our work and wouldn't have it any other way. No, so. that's that's for sure. Greg, thank you for the conversation today. This was enlightening and is going to keep me thinking for a little while longer. <laughs> well, that's my job, Alex, is to keep ah. you thinking. <laughs> Somebody's got to keep me in line. Yeah, so well, Craig's job today. Both of us are going to be scratching the hair we don't have on our heads to <laughs> figure some of this stuff out. So again, we do uh, welcome your feedback. If you're listening and got some thoughts to share, please share them with us. We would love to have them. And and we do have some really cool topics coming up, some cool yes. people we're going to be talking with in future podcasts. And we are committed to making sure that we are on a straightforward schedule you can count on as we move forward. Yes, you're going to be seeing a lot more regularity in our podcasts. So be looking forward to that or afraid of that, whichever the case may be. (laughs) I'm not sure. But like Greg said, we've got some great conversations yet before us, some great folks to talk to and some great topics 
to consider as well. So thank you for joining us on another edition of Disciples Men's Podcast. Greg, thank you for your time and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Alex. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.